Fights. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 456. That's 456. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. How you doing? I'm doing okay. I've got uh, a wild and woolly day ahead of me because uh, my wife and the baby are out doing all their stuff today. And I'm going to play Marvel's Iron Man VR, which means I get to uh, get all weird and nobody has to judge me for standing in a room alone with a <laughs> VR headset on. Look at you, home alone. I know. A whole cheese pizza just for me. Uh, we also went to Beacon, which is uh, oh, in the Hudson Valley this weekend. Uh, first time I've ever been there. And so we walked Main Street and we had lunch at a Doctor Who themed restaurant <gasps> yeah, called the Pandorica. It was really good. And so I texted Dan Slott while we were there being like, I met this restaurant and it makes me think of you and Tom Brevoort. And he's like, yeah, Tom brought me there once. Did you have the fish fingers and custard? I was like, Dan, it's 95 degrees out. I'm not eating that today. <laughs> Oh, that's the best. Yeah, and there's a comic shop in Beacon, New York, if anybody yeah. wants to go there. So it was cool. We, we popped in there. Catherine, my little daughter, had her first experience inside a comic book shop. She didn't pull Aww. anything off the shelf, so it was great. Everybody wins. That's so nice. I've been, I went to that comic shop recently. Actually, that was one of the last places I went before quarantine. Ah. So nice. The, the gentleman there who owns it um, was lovely, and we chatted for a long time. Oh. Remember community, you guys. Yeah, it's pretty great, which we will get to our community later. But speaking of comics, it is a great week because we have new comics for October 2020. They've been revealed. You know, one of the things that I do for Marvel is a show called Marvel's Pull List. It's an audio and video. But last week, with all the chaos of me being sick and my roof, my ceiling falling down and everything going on, <laughs> I wasn't able to shoot the video version. So we have a brand new video with Tucker, Chet, Marcus, my co-host, on his own, helping to reveal some of the new comics. But we also have a website on Marvel.com, which is Marvel.com slash October Comics, where you can see some of them. Lorraine, what are some of the highlights in it? Let's take a look. Also, I want to say, Ryan, you're okay after being sick and having your ceiling fall in, right? Yes, yes. Uh, the okay. sickness was a migraine brought on probably by particles in the air but i felt so bad it was right after recording last week where That's i right. just i like lost it so much better right now all right so october comics we have x of swords stasis number one by teeny howard and jonathan hickman with art by pepe laraz and mahmoud azrar this x this ten of swords stasis number one cover is wild i can't wait to get into this because i this feels to me like Jonathan Hickman doing the Pee Wee Herman dance from uh, Pee Wee's Big oh. Adventure, you know, where he's, he's in the bar doing the, doing the tequila dance. Like picture Jonathan Hickman doing that. That's how I imagine him wow. putting together Ten of Swords, like just having a great time coming up with weird, cool characters like all the yeah. people on the cover here. It's going to be fun. Going to be honest, when I saw this book um, or I saw this character design, I just went, this is sick. <laughs> like, I was like, what? Like, I just, it's a beautiful cover by Pepe Larraz and some dope, cool new characters. There's also the official handbook of the Conan universe. Uh, it's an anniversary edition by Alan Zelenets and uh, covered by uh, Michael Kaluda. I, I, made, I wanted to talk about this one because I freaking love Michael Kaluda and we don't get a lot of Michael Kaluda art. 
Uh, you don't see it a lot these days, but man, it is gorgeous. Really, really cool. Plus, I'm a sucker for a handbook. Give me some like oh yeah, thick text and stats and little details about characters. And I'm like a pig in slop. It's so, so good. Wow. Uh, there's also a brand new Werewolf by Night series, which we've been you know hearing about a little bit. But finally, it is coming in October. It is written by Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas, along with Benjamin Jackendoff, art by Scott Eaton. It's got a great cover by Mike McCone. It is um, a new take on Werewolf by Night. It's really cool. Taboo is such a huge yeah. Marvel fan. I'm excited for what this book is going to be all about. Yeah, I mean, he I know he's a huge, huge fan of Red Wolf and the Black Eyed Peas did their own special comic book through Marvel called Masters of the Sun. Um, also, we have Champions coming back. Champions number one by Eve L. Ewing, art by Simone DeMio, cover by Tony Infanti. It's a great cover, honestly. I'm thrilled because there's lots of Kamala. Yeah. This picks up after the Outlawed storyline. So, you know, with all the releases shifting the way they did, this is finally back on track. I'm excited for that. Uh, we've got an anniversary issue of Fantastic Four, number 25. And then there's a couple more books for October, but there's a nice little tease on this page for King in Black, number one, which is the big story coming December by Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman. It is going to be huge. It's sort of like... All the stuff that they've been building in Venom and Absolute Carnage and more coming together. I'm super jazzed for this. This is going to be huge. Can I tell you my favorite thing about this cover? Yes. So it's like Big Daddy Venom in the middle. And then there's Big Daddy Hulk behind him. And then there's Thick Daddy Captain America right over there. And then there's Little Daddy Wolverine down in the bottom. <laughs> and then there's Little Nerdy Cyclops who's like, man, my eye beams. Wah. <laughs> The end. Oh man, he's a little There's, boy. Um, he's, you know what? He is eating in a, an issue next week. Cable number two comes out, and uh, there's a whole scene of him trying to eat a cheesesteak from uh, Philadelphia. One of our producers, Persia, is from the land of milk and honey, known as Philadelphia. And uh, in the book, they don't say where he got the cheesesteak. Which that's Ergino's. Patsagino's. <laughs> so I texted Jerry Duggan, who wrote the book, and I was like, "Jerry, where's where's he eating this cheesesteak from?" And he's like, "Pats or or Gino's. I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody." And I said, "Well, you already made a decision. It's Pats." So um, he chose Pats. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I don't honestly remember. I haven't eaten meat in like twenty years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I do want to say. Um, I am not calling out skinny people. I am just calling out Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Any reason to hate on Cyclops is a, is a perfectly good yeah, reason. Yeah, there you go. Um, also, Marvel and Scholastic are launching a new line of graphic novels for young readers. I'm really excited about this. So earlier this year, there was this great book that came out actually very recently, Shuri, a Black Panther novel by New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone. And soon there is also going to be Avengers Assembly Orientation by our friend, friend of the show, Preeti Chipper, uh, who we've had on a few times. And that's coming in August of 2020. She's so funny and she's just the greatest. So go go read those books and look out for a new, a new line of original graphic novels as well. Yeah, so they're coming in 2021. Uh, it's going to be cool. The first one is going to be Miles Morales Shockwaves, written by Justin oh, yeah. Reynolds. 
who did a book called Opposite of Always. He's got another book coming out. And then art by Pablo Leon, who is an Eisner Award nominated artist. You know, as a like an original graphic novel, it's going to be a great entry point for this uh, like this level of readers, you know, the young readers. I think it's going to be perfect to get them sort of on board for who Miles Miles is. And, you know, this is just the first in a series because there's going to have new stories. Uh, there's going to be one with Kamala Khan, uh, who's, which is going to be written by Nadia Shamas and a Shuri book written by Roseanne A. Brown, who's a New York Times bestselling author. So stay tuned for those. Those are going to start next year. Oh, Ryan, did you see this? I know that you're excited about this. Um, the Hasbro Marvel Legends series, X-Men 20th anniversary figures. We got to see a bunch of those at Toy Fair, um, which we were very excited. We were running around taking pictures and being really pumped about it. But they finally announced the Marvel HasLab project. Oh, my gosh. I'm so I want this so badly. But, you know, I'm trying to think about saving for a house. And, you know, obviously it's in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm like, can I spend several hundred dollars on a giant Sentinel? The Sentinel that is part of this HasLab thing is so cool and it's going to be like a couple hundred bucks. It's currently taller than my dog. Yeah. So HasLab is really cool. If you if anyone's like not familiar with it, it is Hasbro Pulse. They do a crowdfunding platform and it aims to sort of make these dream products that fans want. And with that fan support, they are able to, once they hit their goal, make that product. So they have put it out on the market. You can go to the Hasbro Pulse website and look for it there. You can put in your pre-order. And then if they get, I guess, enough pre-orders, then it gets made. This one is nuts, Lorraine. So they were like, oh, uh, yeah, we need to get like, gosh, I think it was like 3,000 oh, 6, backers. 6,000 backers. Yeah. As of the recording... They are at 11,137 backers. It's getting made, baby. At $349.99 a piece. These are crazy big, too. They're over 26 inches. I don't know. I have to think about this. I really, really, really want them. And it comes with, like, because they've done so well in, in like, getting so many people to back it, They've added uh, alternate head with, for Master Mole. There's a battle damage head and uh, hand accessory. They've added a six-inch Marvel Legends female Prime Sentinel figure. Who knows what more they're going to add by the time this finishes? Because it still has 30-odd more days to go for funding and for more backers. This thing is going to be hugely successful. It already is. I think it's so cool, honestly, that these are so... These are almost like a fine art statue. Like, they look so sick. Ugh. All right. Ten Sentinels for Ryan, please. Sorry about your college education, Catherine Grace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll just send the Sentinel to college. Oh, Actually, how nice. That's a great idea for a movie. Anyway, of course, this week has been Comic-Con at home. Lorraine, did you get sad this past weekend? because we weren't at Comic-Con? Because I 100% did. I have been going through a lot of pictures and, you know, you get all these like Facebook memories and, and sort of like memories from your phone. That's like, remember two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago? And I, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I'm missing my friends already. So I'm definitely missing Comic-Con, but it's been really fun to kind of look back at some of our memories and be like, wow, remember when I was so, so young? <laughs> <laughs> what child is this? Remember when we met 
Sesame Street characters. <gasps> and both of us like legitimately lost our stuff. We mm. were like, just felt like my face was a smile. Yep. So big. That was truly just really, really thrilling. I mean, my favorite was former This Week in Marvel host, Ben J. Morse posted this story where um, he and I interviewed Stan Lee on the Marvel stage at New York Comic-Con one year. And Stan, this is an infamous story with the old crew. Uh, Stan, we finished the interview and he walked to the edge of the stage, which is not a, too far. It's like maybe three feet off the ground and jumped at 92 years old at this point, I think, jumped off the stage and everyone went, <gasps> and clutched each other's arms and he's like i'm fine see you later thanks <laughs> like just like nothing happened and then he like power walked away it was it's great. wild but you know like there's just i don't know it's just the best and getting to hang out with everybody <sighs> but at least everybody got to go to comic-con this year yeah there's a whole bunch of great panels that marvel had and so many other people had of course uh, a whole ton of comic-con at home panels uh, there's one there's a fan panel for marvel's agents of shield there's a new Mutants movie panel. Um, I mean, there's just tons and tons of cool stuff. So there are three cheers to the folks at Comic-Con International for putting together a really great event. Hip, hip, we miss you. <laughs> oh. oh, you know what is really awesome? I'm very excited for our friend Justin Warner, who is the host of Marvel's Eat the Universe, because he is now in the hollowed halls of cookbookery he's an author now is what i'm trying to say uh he has a new cookbook that is coming out wherever books are sold i believe you can pre-order it now on amazon it comes out on the 28th so in just a few days and it's all of these different recipes that he has been putting together over his years on marvel's eat the universe yeah i feel like you and i are very instrumental for this becoming uh, a thing. That's very true. Because we had him as a guest on our old show, Thwip, the big Marvel show, numerous mm -hmm. times. He made me eat snake. Where I guess you made me eat snake. He just cooked it. I blame you, Lorraine. And it was great. I have no complaints. You should blame me. I mean, admittedly, that's completely fair. I believe I wrote that first segment. I definitely named Eat the Universe. And then we brought, and then you brought Justin in to be our chef. And it was so wonderful and Justin was so amazing that it became its own show. So, I mean, that's a testament to Justin's talent of making us eat some weird stuff. Yeah, you know what? We should talk to Justin. Let's let's get him on the line and talk to him a little bit about the cookbook and uh, all the other stuff that comes with his new with the universe. Hello, Justin Warner here, a hero of chefs, chef of heroes. <laughs> That is the best hey, way to answer the phone. It's Ryan and Lorraine, and uh, we just wanted to say congratulations on your new cookbook. Yay! Hey, thank you very much, guys. I'm so pumped. Like, um, it, it's really weird. You know, obviously, we all make uh, things, uh, you know, like podcasts and, and, and videos and whatnot. But when you have this, like, 3D tangible object that, that is a portion of your brain and a portion of all of our brains at Marvel, like, whoa! I love it. Uh, of course, the cookbook comes out on... July 28th on Amazon, but uh, the thing that happened this week was the big old launch of the merch from Box Lunch, which started on the 20th. Obviously, our listeners can't see it, but you are 
you are straight representing the line. You're wearing the shirt, the button down from the line. And nothing else past here. <laughs> but but yeah, so um, we teamed up with Box Launch, and Box Launch is such a cool company. Um, if you don't have one at like a mall near you, you should definitely check out their website, boxlaunch.com. They serve all sorts of fandoms, but especially Marvel. And uh, the cool thing about them is that uh, I believe for every $10 you spend, they send one meal to somebody in need. So oh. you can purchase this uh, incredible Marvel ice cream decked out polo shirt, and or button down rather, and end up feeding like 10 people and looking as fresh as I am. Yeah, I really want that shirt. That shirt is awesome, and I love that they have like that they're supporting folks who need it. Uh, there's other T-shirts and stuff. What is your? Do you have a favorite from all the the various pieces that are in the box launch line? Yeah, so I'll go like piece by piece. I think the the most giftable and kind of the most understated is the coasters. So the coasters have this kind of summery design, including like the Spider-Man popsicle that we all had at the beach that somewhat resembled Spider-Man and was maybe <laughs> even questionably licensed. Um, but anyway, I love that. It's also got um, a marshmallow on a stick with little lightning bolts coming out of it to look like uh, Mjolnir, which is amazing. And then also there is Groot, Groot as an avocado seed, which is pretty adorable yeah so okay that's the most uh i think easy to give as a gift in terms of the appliances there's a uh well i thought it was a panini maker the entire time so i was making these epic like foot long grilled cheeses with the marvel logo (laughs) in them but then i because i only had the prototype but then it turned out that's actually a waffle maker as well (laughs) so i mean you know one man's waffles another man's panini uh so i love that and it works super well and just having that you know that classic marvel logo on it you you just start playing various theme songs in your head you know when you're having your your epic grilled cheese and then i think in terms of the oh man in terms of the clothes i think i love that the ice cream shirt is kind of understated like it really takes like you someone has to get in kind of close to look at it and be like oh that's that's cool but there's also a spider-man pizza shirt that is just yeah oh it's swagalicious um i posted it yesterday on my instagram and people are just coming out of the walls like that's that's brilliant that's genius we love it i know i love it so much because it's such a fun mashup of marvel characters and food which you just it's like so precious and cute i heard you also have a special funko coming out what's your funko oh yeah yeah it's i was so excited i like can't believe i'm here and doing this and living this life so it's a a Spider-Man bobblehead, but Spider-Man is uh, one in action, so he's is actually web swinging, and uh, it's it's so it's got a lot of animation to it, and then uh, he's carrying a, a box of pizza with the pizza spilling out slightly, and he's wearing a T-shirt that says "I love pie," but it's actually the symbol PI, and then it has the pizza on it. <laughs> it's it's like yeah. all of the nerd things in my life in in one and. Yeah, I pretend that it's me under the mask. Uh, Justin, uh, obviously, you know, we're talking about all this stuff. We're talking about the the glory that is Eat the Universe. But for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what Eat the Universe is and where people can check it out, please give us the real quick uh, lowdown. Yeah, so Eat the Universe is essentially Marvel's cooking and food show. How does that make sense? Well, we make it make sense in every episode, um, and you got to tune in to check it out. Uh, you can find it on Marvel.com and on YouTube. And uh, we have a lot of fun. I always say that 
you know, you can learn something about Marvel and you can learn something about food. And hopefully you leave more excited about both. I love that. I'm also just like, I, like I'm loving all of the cute clothes and, and stuff, but I'm really excited about all the home good stuff that you guys have. Like all of that cute cooking stuff. Cause I think there's just like not enough of that stuff. Yeah, it's true. You know, um, I feel like America has kind of grown tired of the, the three colors of the kitchen, white, stainless steel and beige, you know, and then, you know, black plastic that's so shiny and leaves fingerprints. So I actually think one of the coolest things about this is that we've kind of skinned up these uh, uh, slow cookers or some people call them crock pots, even though it's a brand um, skinned up these slow cookers with the Marvel stuff on it. And the cool thing to me about that is that one it's functional in that it doesn't show fingerprints anymore, but also it adds just like a, a pop of fandom to a, a room that I think is otherwise can be a little like sterile and boring and bland. And um, what's your favorite recipe, do you think, from your cookbook? Because everybody's at home, everybody's cooking. This is their moment to get to make a bunch of cool Marvel recipes. Oh man, that's tough. You're like asking me to pick one of more than my 50 plus children. Um, <laughs> well how, how about this what a, so i am not a good cook i leave the cooking to my wife and i do all the dishes and the cleanup and we have a great partnership there but is there something that even uh, a terrible monster like me could do <laughs> with the eat the universe cookbook yeah definitely um so i think the easiest thing is uh deadpool's chimichanguitas we were looking to make like a a midnight snack sort of um you know, and something that someone at home could do, version of the chimichanga. Yes, we know Deadpool, and fans love to correct me on this in the comments. Deadpool doesn't love chimichangas, he likes saying it. So that's why I added the extra diminutive syllable to it, the chimichanguita. So it's essentially a mini chimichanga. So you, you cut out little tortillas with like a glass or a ring cutter, and you make tortillas that are like, I don't know, a little bigger than... Uh, Smaller than a hockey puck, but bigger than a half dollar. And then you painstakingly roll up like three beans, five pieces of rice, two shreds of cheese, and like a tiny ribbon of chicken. And then we seal them shut. And then you just shallow fry them in a pan, and they're amazing. They're like just teeny tiny deep fried burritos, which is mm. like what a chimichanga is. And it, they rule. They're amazing. I'm so hungry now. I don't, I don't know why nobody has made tiny deep fried burritos before. But it took Eat the Universe and it took Deadpool to come up with this. Like, if I could mass produce any food, wouldn't you just love to grab a handful of burritos and pop them in your mouth? <laughs> I Now I'm picturing, like, you've got, like, a little, like, cardboard cup and you've got a whole bunch of these and you buy them like you would popcorn or french fries. Justin, we need to go into business because you're saying this, you're talking about it on the show. I officially, I believe... The three of us now own this business together. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited for this endeavor. Well, you know, you guys um, are basically responsible for having me in the Marvel Universe originally. You know, there were a couple of people that kind of did the emailing and whatnot. But you guys uh, had me on your podcast a long, long time ago and then brought me back to make more food and more food and more food. And so without you guys, I wouldn't be... Um, modeling slow cookers for boxlunch.com <laughs> it was really nice to add model to my resume yesterday <laughs> yeah well the show would never have taken off in the way it did if it didn't have you and your massive marvel fandom and intellect and knowledge and sweet sweet cooking skills behind it oh shucks i miss you guys i know miss you yeah, we miss, you miss too. hanging out at comic-con we no, would be real. at comic-con now together it's uh it's wild oh well 
Um, I don't, you know, I, to me, the magic is, is still, you know, floating around. Like there are still people that are super jazzed about all of these things. We still launched box launch products, you know, yeah. cookbooks still coming up. You know, I guess uh, it's it is nice though to have everybody in like one group and and to get hyped. I was thinking about like what I miss the most about Comic Con, and it's you know somebody comes into like our little tiny um, hive buzzing with you know Marvel people, and uh, they've got a bag. You're like, what'd you find? What'd you find? And then it doesn't <laughs> matter like what it is. It's just cool to see people get hyped about this thing that they have or whatever. And like you know, my locker is like overflowing with some <laughs> thing that. You know, I don't need it at all, but I wanted it at Comic-Con, <laughs> you know? The little joys. We miss you, and we're glad that we got to see your face a little bit during Comic-Con week. Um, we're going to buy all of this stuff and have the cutest kitchens ever. I definitely want to get the um, the shirt. There's, like, a, the towels are really great, and those coasters are awesome. And, of course, anybody out there who wants to pick up some, go to boxlunch.com slash eattheuniverse. And, of course, pick up the Eat the Universe cookbook at wherever books are sold, including Amazon, starting on July 28th. It's true, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thank you, Justin. You are wonderful, and um, I do want all that stuff. But he's not the only person we're talking to this week, Lorraine. We've got two more fabulous guests for the show. That's right. We've got not one, not two, but two guests. Did I get that right? <laughs> we have Chip Sadarsky and Anthony Oliveira, who are working on the new Emperor Hulkling book. Uh, the, the book is real good. We hope everybody checks it out. They're really sweet. It's a lot of fun. This was a good chat. We, and uh, one thing to note, we did this conversation with them eight years ago, I think it was. Maybe slightly nine? less than eight years ago. It wasn't the year 2020, but it was before not only was I garbage fire, but the whole world was. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's a little, contextually, keep that in mind, it is a little bit uh, a while ago, but I think their conversation and the bit of insight that they bring into creating this comic is relevant as ever. Hi, Chip. Hey, how's it going? And hello, Anthony. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you? Very well, how are you? We're great. Thank you so much for talking with us all the way from Toronto. Toronto, yes. Yeah, we're just overlooking the water right now. It's very exotic. Yes. <laughs> Is that the correct pronunciation? Toronto with a question mark at the end? Yeah, you always want to you want to be very polite about it. You want to be very like apologetic that you've even said the name of the city. You want to pretend it might be New York at any moment. Yeah, exactly mm -hmm. right. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that goes very well with my general vibe. <laughs> uh, how do you two know each other? I guess we know each other. Twitter. Yeah, I guess Twitter. I knew you before you knew who I was. Well, obviously, because <laughs> I'm Toronto famous. Yeah, I got in an elevator behind you once at a Comic-Con, and I really? pinched my friend. Because it's like, that's Chip Starsky. Yeah. You should have just pinched me. <laughs> now I would. Yeah, yeah now you sure. would. Um, um, yeah, I guess Toronto, you know, being online, uh, there's a lot of... Toronto's writing community is small. I feel like I know everyone yeah. who's working. Yeah, yeah. And, and we would see each other at events and we got along and here we are. What magic. You know, speaking of, of Twitter, um, Anthony, I have to say your credits in your Twitter bio are excellent. One of which is Dumpster Raccoon. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just curious the uh, origin of dumpster raccooning. <laughs> Raccoons are a very Toronto animal. We're very fond of them up here. Um, no, I, I love 
I love raccoons in general because I'm also nocturnal, but I also program a film series called Dumpster Raccoon Cinema. I, I like raccoons because they dig in the garbage and they find things that other people threw out that are worth saving and worth keeping. So that's like the ethos behind my film program. And it's sort of about my, what my work is about too. Like I, I did a PhD in 17th century literature, so I'm used to like high art stuff. But even then, I was always annoying the professors by being like, I once gave this talk for a long time about uh, Paradise Lost that was about like a terrorist attack. And it was only about 10 minutes in that they realized I was talking about the beginning of Star Wars. Um, so, <laughs> so I have this bad habit of bringing like pop culture junk into everything I do. Um, and that to me, the, the raccoon is the icon of that. Yeah. He basically rooted through the garbage and found me. Yes. <laughs> We're both oh, garbage people. Uh, yeah. What a treat for a Toronto dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> So, Anthony, you have your PhD or you're still working on it? I have it. It is useless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is like having a PhD in blockbuster video management at this point in 2020. Oh, wow. There's there's no academia collapsed. Um, wow. Shout out to sponsor Blockbuster. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, I wrote a dissertation about uh, secularization way back when. Amazing. I, my wife has her PhD in ethnomusicology, but she's also a young adult writer and, you know, sells real estate and does stuff like that. So I understand. Right. Yeah. Although it doesn't, I mean, it always has its uses, right? Like this was a comic that was very much about like uniting two empires and being at the beginning of a new empire, which is very much what Elizabeth I and James I were, which is why I think so much of that dialogue has weirdly seeped into it. I thought of the scroll as a very like Baroque culture, a culture that's like at the beginning of a period of decadence. So it's seeped into the script in weird ways. Yeah, and I felt the same way. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, speaking of that, speaking of uniting two empires, you guys also are uniting your empires as co-writers. Had you co-written before? Yeah, uh, I attempted it with Matt Fraction on an image series that never happened. And, uh, but we did it in a different way where we kept, like I would do a page and then he would do a page and then I would give notes on his page and he would notes on my page. And like, we would just go back and forth on two pages for like forever. And uh, it was uh, much less efficient than, than this. You were trading pages. Kind of, we sometimes do it in like blocks of two or three. And um, yeah, it was, I, it was a very weird experience. Like we would, we would block it all out and go back and write, but then things would change and we'd have to go back and rewrite each other's stuff. And ostensibly it was to make it go faster, but it was three times as long. So oh. um, yeah, that's not a good way to do it. Like we're stupid. This was, <laughs> this was an easier way to do it for sure. Um, I've never, I don't think I have, although I come out of, I come from prose. So, I mean, the writer, the artist at this point feels like a co-collaborator. Like, yeah, I, I send things in and it's like, oh, I, I never thought of staging it that way. That's so much better than what I was thinking of doing, which is fun. I mean, it's hard to go back to writing just words when there's nothing better than opening your email every day. And it's like, here's four new pages. It's like, oh my God, this yeah, is amazing. It makes you feel like a god, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. It's weird. It's such a weird feeling. <laughs> Like you declare a thing and then they just do it. Like build me this building. Yeah. And then they build it. Although it's like a weird like imposter syndrome too. It's like, oh my God, it's so much better than what I thought it was going to be. So. Well, it's worse for me because I'm also an artist. So like when an artist sends back a beautiful page, which oh. is totally different than what I thought. I'm just like, oh, I'm a bad artist. <laughs> oh, I, I forgot. Oh. Yeah. I just, I don't know how to draw. 
let, let's dive into a little bit of, of the book. You, you talked a little bit about it, the um, Empire Hulkling storyline. Um, where are we when we dive into the book and, and the characters that are sort of at the forefront of this title? We, we sort of were riding off the wave of incoming where we had these two pages where we saw that Hulkling's life had kind of changed, that we knew he had received this call that he felt compelled to answer. And by the end of the book, he's suddenly addressing an army. Um, so we knew we had to thread the needle of those two events, basically. But uh, at least when I was thinking about it, Hulkling is a character that, to me, seems like has obviously been at the center of the Marvel Universe. I mean, literally as a universe for so long, right? Like, he's literally the the scion of two different galaxies in the Marvel Universe uh, that are, like, not just, like, incidental, but, like, the Skrull and the Kree, like, the two big alien races. And yet he's always been kind of a a side character, like Wiccan, for some reason, has been allowed to sort of flourish and have his own plot lines. Um, but Hulkling has been, even in the story that I previously wrote with him, uh, My Drag Brunch with Loki, he literally spent most of it on the couch. So I wanted to start him on that couch at the beginning of this story <laughs> yeah. and have him sort of himself be aware of that sort of restlessness and that feeling of having been sidelined and then make him immediately regret that feeling by suddenly thrusting him into this uh, situation that was way behind, way beyond his ken. Yeah. Yeah, the couch is basically its own character. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <At this point. laughs> yeah. I love Hulkling and Wiccan, uh, but could you tell me a little bit about who they are, their origins, and their relationship? Oh, sure. In um, your own words. Well, they came out of Heinberg's Young Avengers, which is does this amazing thing at the beginning where it misleads you about everyone's history. So at first he was Asgardian Hulkling. Um, he has no connection to the Hulk whatsoever. He's actually the son of the princess of the Skrull, Princess Anel, uh, and Captain Marvel at some point had some kind of tryst that was never quite depicted on panel. Um, it's also not clear to me if ha Skrulls hatch babies, but uh, they had a son who was uh, sent to Earth to protect him from the evil Emperor Dorek, um, and he was raised here as a human. Uh, Wiccan is the... Oh, it's very complicated, but <laughs> he, he's kind of the son of Scarlet Witch and Vision, who was raised by a different family, uh, and they met each other and fell in love uh, and spontaneously created the Young Avengers together and have been together in comics ever since, sort of moving in and out of comic Marvel history. I also want to give a shout out to my new favorite character, which is Crystal Macron. Oh, I love her. <laughs> um, I, 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 was... I forced Anthony to make sure that she stayed in because I think she was in the first draft and then there were questions about, you know, maybe taking too much focus away. And I was like, oh, you need you need Crystal in there. Yeah, Chip was very insistent she get yeah. um, that moment that she has in the, in the middle of the comic. I live for a drag queen, um, especially one that alludes to any of the Phoenix storylines, so... Yeah, I hope we someday get to unpack why it is that she seems to know more than I think the Mar average <laughs> yeah. Marvel character should know about the, the Shi'ar and the, the Dark Phoenix. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it made the front page of the Daily Doodle. <laughs> <laughs> and if you think about it, like, what does the public know about the Dark Phoenix, right? Like, it was like a weekend for the X-Men, right? Like, <laughs> what a wild weekend. Yeah, no, it's true. It's not that, it's not that many issues, really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, they're just like, oh, there's a giant firebird in the sky again. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, but I, I come out of, uh, I worked at a drag bar for a while. Um, I'm queer. All my friends are queer. I was on the phone with a drag queen yesterday who's making me a suit. So it's like, it's very much a part of my culture. And I I felt like when 
Wiccan and Hulkling get written, sometimes they seem to exist in this vacuum where they're only in relation to each other. So whenever I get a chance to, I try to give some sense of have them, them having an actually full queer life. I think that phrases like, oh, these characters just happen to be gay or whatever, um, is not really actually the queer experience. I think that being queer informs a lot of who you are. So I always try to fill in um, that drag club scene and like just even what their normal day-to-day reaction uh, interactions are like was important to me in writing this. I also loved in this book, we get to see Tommy and David show up, you know, Mm -hmm. characters who are such important parts of uh, their lives. You know, Tommy in particular being brother and everything to, to Billy. It's like seeing like those connections, those relationship moments, how important was it for you to bring that side of things into this story? Oh yeah. So, so important. They speak to that theme, right? Like Tommy and David have disappeared in a lot of ways. And I wanted them to have a moment to sort of think about their own disappearance. We have actually still no sense of what Tommy's day-to-day life is like. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love. (laughs) It's a story I'd love to tell. But that's why I had that moment where he sort of explodes as uh, Teddy is decompressing about the fact that he feels sidelined. And Tommy at super speed is sort of delineating all the moments in history he has been himself sidelined. Again, I just wanted to have a sense that the years we haven't been keeping track of them have not been empty, right? They've had this rich, full life that we haven't seen and it's sort of a happiness that this event is about to disrupt. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love the, uh, the, the drag bar scene so much. It's, uh, it's great having those characters interact. Like, I think we're both huge fans of uh, Young Avengers. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just... It's it's nice because you also know because you're when you're writing stuff like that you're writing it as a bit of a fan, and you're like what do I want to see you know as a fan of the material, and to to get to kind of hopefully fulfill the fans' needs in a book like this as well is super satisfying. Yeah, I always think of Stanley saying that like comics are soap operas, and it's like you want to make sure you have the punching and stuff, but the panels I always remember as a kid, and the panels I wanted to create in this are the quiet moments where you just see two characters relating to each other. Like that scene was the most important for me. Uh, I think about the quiet scenes. uh, And I remember being in one of the editorial retreats and Joe Casada talking about the importance of those scenes, but also in, in active and visual storytelling and, and in keeping those things engaging. And even from the script point of view, it's, there's enough visual energy forth for what those scenes are about and the sort of the manicness of Tommy, the what, what David's bringing to the scene, like all those pieces come to play. It's important to, to have those moments, but also to keep them engaging for an audience who is, you know, sort of uh, comes up in through visual storytelling. Yeah, I mean, this issue feels very much like, even though it's like an extra sized issue, it feels very fast and there's a lot happening in it. And the scenes, the scenes really uh, carry through to the next scene. And uh, there's a lot of action kind of mixed in with the, the personal stuff. And uh, I, I can take almost no credit for that. Anthony was, um, he's astonishingly, oh, uh, he's astonishingly talented at comics. Oh. When I read the, uh, <laughs> the drag brunch with Loki, I was like visibly angry. <laughs> And how good it was in, in, such a, in such a short amount of space as well uh, without feeling cramped. Um, yeah, he's, 
This guy's the real Please. deal. There are so many interesting things that happen in this issue that are filling in a void that I didn't know exists, like our moments seeing how Teddy and Speed are kind of left behind or feel in the shadow of Wiccan. Also, a lot of the family stuff with Teddy that we don't know how he feels about his parentage with his birth mom and uh, adopted mom. Stuff I just hadn't thought about. How much were you looking for sort of the holes to fill? At my end, I I just wanted to think about, well, what does he what does he know about his life? What does he not know about his life? And what how does he think about it, I think was important. Like we got a sense from the initial Heinberg run that he'd been raised by this woman, Mrs. Altman, who I think we finally have given yeah. the first name yeah, to. That was that was a big deal. <laughs> Mary Jo Altman, uh, maybe a touch on the nose, but whatever. <laughs> I know. I, I think I think I said to Anthony at one point, like, "This is your chance. Give her a name. It's amazing. Like, I love when this happened. I gave Howard the Duck a, 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 a an actual last name, and it gets updated on his Wikipedia, and you feel powerful." <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, "Okay, we're gonna give her a name," but also, once I realized they would be, I was sort of thinking about how to thread the needle between the two events in Incoming. And I knew he'd be traveling out of the solar system. For the first time, I'm pretty sure as a character, they were teleporting around in Young Avengers Volume 2. But I was like, well, what if they passed the asteroid where Captain Marvel's grave is? Mm -hmm. And what if he had a moment? Because he's never actually, he never met his dad. He thought he did. It was a Skrull imposter. And that is itself its own horrible trauma. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted him to have a moment to think about that and to have the reader think about his weird, um, history as like sort of this exile. I grew up, um, I'm Azorian, so we grew up on this island, my parents did. Um, There's like a bunch of them. And my mom used to tell me the story that um, on days where it's clear, you could see a secret ninth island. And that was where King Sebastian was sleeping until he came back someday. And so this like idea of the king who will return, this like mythic messianic figure was something I really wanted to think about in telling this story. Which is why we open as big as we can with sort of this epic, the destruction of Tarnax Four with Galactus, yeah. um, and then we immediately find this very quiet moment of that prince about to be setting foot on the big stage. Yeah, because like, you're, you're you're filling in all these gaps, but you're also catching up new readers as well, which is the the balance of something like this. Because you want to give uh, returning readers kind of new insights into these lives, but also like it's it can get a little convoluted sometimes with with these characters with their kind of rich histories and so that's the balance in a in an issue like this like it's got to be new reader friendly but also there's enough there for the returning readers yeah i someone asked me yesterday like what do i need to read beforehand to understand this and i was like i actually think hopefully nothing um the bible (laughs) yeah have you heard about it (laughs) yeah there's some paintings i could recommend but i really wanted you to be like here's teddy from the ground up. Because part of the problem is he has been sort of on the side for a while. So like, what do you need to know? And here hopefully is like the compendium of who he is. Hopefully you read this and you understand everything he does for the rest of the event. Yeah. I think that's a great point to, to jump into because you're also, this is part of a major Marvel Comics event. Does that provide any wrinkles for the two of you in, in, crafting the story, putting this together and thinking about how it fits into that larger picture or or the consequences or, or like the things you are sort of you need to do to put forth to fit in? Yeah, I mean, there are logistics for sure. We we know kind of enough about what's happening in Empire to, to write the story, but um, we're, we're dealing specifically with the office that's um, running the uh, the main title. 
And so uh, Al Ewing has been very helpful. Like he comes in and gives uh, notes on uh, things that can can't happen, um, and and some good suggestions as well. Yeah, because that's that's part of the fun of the Marvel books <laughs> is like the the continuity of it all playing off of each other and creating kind of a satisfying experience as a whole around the event. So yeah, this is my first <laughs> crossover ever, um, and I hope they're all this much fun. Where it's like. You send a script to Al and he's like, oh my God, that's great. You can't do that, but I'm going to use that. And it's like very collaborative and it's like playing with toys in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, that I can use that. Um, it's been, and you like, sometimes you'll put something in the script and then it's like, oh, well, you can't possibly do that because by this issue, that person will have done this and this person will have suffered this. So um, it is like fun. You're throwing like darts that you know the truck is going by in a minute and you have to throw a dart at it as it passes <laughs> like, that's yeah what it like it's, to me. it's collaborative on so many different levels different stages like it'd be collaborative between myself and anthony us and our editors editors above them writers that are doing other things yeah it's pretty cool i mean this is as much fun that happens in and as much action that happens in it. it's very much a character piece and there's a tremendous responsibility to make sure when you give the character back at the end, that character is now where they need to be for the rest of the story, right? Because yeah. like um, the nature of events like this is like an epic is going to be big battles and conflicts. So you have to have that character down pat before you go in. Yeah. So making sure that the last panel is right where we need him to be for the crossover felt really important and daunting to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it helped knowing that where the character needs to be for sure. Like if you're just writing it, not knowing then that, that adds another level of pressure, but well, you know, while you don't have the roadmap to it, you know where the destination is, which is actually pretty helpful. That begs the question sort of when you're writing a, a one shot versus an ongoing series, how is it different? Because obviously with a one shot, you're kind of picking it up for someone and dropping it off at the end and saying, take my character on into wherever you're going. I've never written an ongoing, so Chip has to answer this. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a certain level of uh, terror with an ongoing. Like, just because a lot relies on your issue one, your issue two, and your issue three, and uh, and balancing those out can be fairly tricky. Uh, with a one-shot, there's, there's weirdly a bit more freedom because you know it's kind of done in one. You have to tell a story, and you're off the stage. Not that I'm not worried about sales of anything I ever work on but <laughs> on a one shot it's like okay we just got to tell the best story we can within this space and we don't have to worry as much about setting up our own threads mm. you can you can just tell the best story possible without um without the need for gimmicks I guess like sometimes in an issue one I find like well I gotta have the cliffhanger I gotta like what's the twist here they'll keep people coming back for issue two uh whereas something like this like it's just a solid story and enjoyable on its own which is uh which is satisfying. It really is so satisfying to getting to see Teddy and Billy's relationship. I think they have the most sort of sweet, earnest, like real grounded relationship that you see in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole <laughs> issue is such a love letter. I like gasped at my desk reading. Oh. And I was I literally said audibly to myself, don't do this to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, what is it like for you to get to, you know, showcase their relationship and then mess with our feelings? I did worry about and Chip yeah. is 
keeps downplaying what he did on the script, but one of the things he had to do was coach me that I hadn't gone too far in one direction or the other because I did worry about, well, how much how much can you punch the reader in the face was a concern that I had while we were working on it. It was important to me that this is a very functional, very sweet, um, very loving relationship because I it's not something we depict with queer characters a lot. Um, especially when I was growing up, like if you did a queer storyline on TV or in a comic, it was like a very special episode, right? And yeah. maybe something tragic happened at the end or maybe they just disappeared <laughs> forever. <laughs> so the idea of a long-term relationship where the characters trust each other and understand each other and have an interior life and a language with each other was very important to me, um, especially with these two who I understand implicitly because it's been well established that they're both huge dorks. Yeah. Um, and it was very important to me as a huge dork to see that representation on the page too. So. <laughs> Finally, dork representation. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then from that, you get to have the kind of pathos that you need, right? Because if you, if you care about the relationship, then when it's put in jeopardy, those stakes matter. Yeah. And, you know, on the other side of it, like you don't want them to be perfect either. Like they have to have issues within the relationship uh, with themselves individually uh, or else you run the risk of making them not feel real, like striving too much to make them perfect. And that's not really a thing that I think readers want. Like sometimes they trick themselves into thinking they want it. I want them to be nice to each other all the time. Right. And then and, they hate you, the writer. for <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, you, you know, they don't want Peter and MJ to divorce, <laughs> you know, like, because it represents them in a lot of ways. So it's it's hard because you know the characters represent or are sometimes stand-ins for the reader. But you also need to have drama within the story. So it's, it's, a, it's a delicate balance to make sure that you're not um, punching the reader in the face. Maybe giving him a gentle tap in the belly? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Punch in the face. I, I would say that's right. <laughs> Like, it's a punch in the belly, but then a little bit later, it's like a soothing ice pack on the belly. Like, don't right. you worry. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and the other, I mean, again, when it comes to queer relationships, like, there is a tendency to create the perfect relationship, like this, like, idealistic, representational moment. And, with, for example, in uh, the page I'm proudest of from uh, My Drag Brunch with Loki, they're just, like, at home, in their house, and one of them has morning breath. And it was super important to me that he had morning breath. Like, you get a kiss, and he's like, ugh, like, you still stink. Like, that to me is human in a way that um, queer people don't get to be. So, like, all these quiet scenes that are in the book were important to me. They're like, maybe they don't move the story along, but to me they do the work that, the sto- that makes the story matter at all. Yeah, it's character building. Well, I will say thank you for not completely ruining their lives because I personally <laughs> am attached. I'm so glad you liked it. That makes me yeah, so happy. You're like awesome. our first reader. so I know. We haven't even seen it completely done. Oh, the art is oh, wow. stunning. Yeah. Um, Manuel Garcia's, and uh, I should shout out Triona Farrell's colors, too. Oh I don't God. know if you saw the preview pages, the first four of the destruction of the planet. But it's like, it's a weird match made in heaven because Garcia's art is like, so classic like mask energy like he worked on bloodshot and like aries right like when when i heard he was our artist i was like oh i i hope that i'm writing enough violence for him (laughs) and then triona's colors (laughs) are so like these beautiful like jewel tones and like pastels and when you put them together it's like this 
perfect. Like the, that panel of Galactus destroying oh, a God. planet. I'm just gonna say, yeah, it's fully one of the most beautiful panels I've ever seen in a comic. It, book. it really is. Like <laughs> I gasped when that uh, page came in. Like uh, Triono's uh, the way they deal with atmosphere in that panel, and just like what the feeling would be on a planet watching Galactus yeah. just unleashing. I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Just like sublime, really. like Because it's yeah. terrifying and it's stunning. Like There's a shot of Nova streaking by and it's like, oh my God, that's beautiful as she's destroying their yeah. whole world. Yeah. Um, Spoilers. I, so I can't wait. <laughs> Tarnax 4 has been gone for 40 <laughs> I know, years. I, I think know. we'll be okay. Maybe I'll get an angry letter from John Byrne for spoiling his comic. <laughs> I was Karnak 4. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I believe we showed that spread uh, at at C2E2, oh, yeah. and I was just like, the, there was something about Galactus's hand, mm. yeah. where I was just like, that is one of the most beautiful hands I've seen. It was, you know, a simple thing, but with the... Yeah, it's like forward in the camera. Yeah, the, the coloring, everything came together. It's a simple thing, but it's when you, you it's one of those things, you know what you see, and you're just like, that's some good comic book. There's something, yeah. like, kaiju of him. Like, there's something yeah. of him, like... He's totally depersonalized, which is what I loved about it. Actually, one of the things Chip was telling me is when you write a comic, you have to name everybody who's like on the page. And I very specifically never even said, like, this is Galactus, because I wanted him to f- register as like a pure force of nature. Yeah. Um, like completely depersonalized. And I love that. Yeah, that hand and those laser eyes. <laughs> yeah, like I, I tried to give him a speech balloon that says, hi, I'm Galactus. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. They didn't go for that? It is. I mean, I had Ryan North's Galactus in my head, too. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just needing a snack. Yeah. He's just apologizing. <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Okay. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Chip and Anthony are absolute delights. Oh, Hope you guys God. enjoyed that. And, of course, pick up. Uh, Lords of Empire, Emperor Hulkling. It is uh, a terrific, terrific comic. Everybody's going to love it. Uh, We're going to have a lot of community about Hulkling and Wiccan in a second. But first, our question of the week for next week is going to pertain to our next week's guest, who is WWE superstar Xavier Woods, a.k.a. Austin Creed, a.k.a. just sweet, big old nerdy dude. Me and James Monroe Iglehart, our other co-host, we had a great conversation with him a while back. And uh, so we talk about video games and comics and wrestling and all that stuff. So, Lorraine, my question of the week for us is, would you rather be a professional wrestler or a professional video game player? Video games, because I'm going to sit on my butt and I'll never get hurt. Um... <laughs> you may hurt your wrist or your eyes. There's a lot of damage you could do if you don't protect yourself. I can handle that. Um, <laughs> wait, <laughs> you just... said Austin Creed? Uh, yes. His, his, um, his, but his name is Xavier his... Woods, right? Well, that's a little bit of kayfabe. His wrestler name for WWE is Xavier Woods, but he's also Austin Creed. So it's like Xavier Woods is to Agent M as Austin Creed is to Ryan Panagos. All right. <laughs> All right. I see you. Yeah. Although I would say that I'm probably better at wrestling than I am at playing video games. Please mm. do not talk to me on Twitter about that. <laughs> I'm just strong and very competitive. And it's all fun and games. Like, I'm not angry, but I will 
fight tooth and nail over nothing. And the more pointless it is, the more I have to fight. Yeah. I like that. I, 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 so I think if being a professional wrestler or being a professional video game player, I think I would go with professional wrestler because you get a lot of money right away. You get to travel and do some cool stuff and it's a weird experience, but your shelf life is generally pretty like small and you do that for a while and then you go do something else because that's what I, you know, what is so great about Xavier Woods is he's so smart in so many ways and thinking about not just like, oh, I'm going to be a wrestler, but like, what does he do afterwards? And he's really, really clever about that. That's going to be some of the conversation for next week. But to answer our question, you can use the hashtag this week in Marvel on social media. You can email your response to twinpodcast at marvel.com. And you can, of course, hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Yeah, I am. You know what? I'm very excited for community this week because we asked for people's favorite Wiccan Hulkling moments. And as someone who has a full-time shipping job and I don't work for any sort of UPS, FedEx, none of those guys, I'm very excited about this. And I want to shout out Karis Pollard, a.k.a. at Karis Pollard, because you went above and beyond with these tweets. She did. Karis says, Oh boy, the This Week in Marvel question of the week posed by Lorraine and Ryan is to pick your favorite Wiccan slash Hulkling moments. They're my favorite couple, so this could be long. Brace yourselves. She continues. It's a, it's a whole thread on Twitter. She says, look, the reason I love them so much is that they're solid. They know they love the other, and they're mostly really certain that they're loved back. There are other dramas, but the core is strong, and that just feels relatable and really healthy. And so she's just, like, tossing in panels and screenshots uh, from various runs of Young Avengers some by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung, some by Karen Gillan and Jamie McKelvey. Really sweet stuff. She continues saying, even when they had a break, and in parentheses, look, when your power is over reality, it's got to cause doubts about whether your emotions are real. And she says, they are both so understanding and mature, even emo Billy. Yes, emo, emo Billy. She says, I also kind of love that their engagement came out of this. It feels so very them. I'm a sucker for a big romantic scene, but this worked for me too. And she points to a scene where they have a little conversation, get engaged, and it's just terrific. And then she continues saying, plus you get all these deeply cute moments you only see when people are truly comfortable with each other. And I love that. They are such a great couple, you know, since like, they're, they're like Sue and, and Reed, if Sue and Reed had a better marriage. And Reed wasn't like such a turd. Yeah. Um, the Kawaii Prince at Colin J said, my favorite Hulkling moment is in Death's Head 2 with his hug in the background of the panel. And before you ask, yes, I have empire themed nails. I always love your nails, Colin J. Yeah, they're the best. One of my favorite things about that Death's Head series is the stuff that is drawn like in the background. There's always yeah. little details in it. And yeah, there's some terrific Hulkling and Wiccan moments in there. It, it's great because I feel like Teeny wrote a Death's Head story where she could also write a Hulkling Wiccan story. And it is tremendous. It's really good. That should all be up on Marvel Unlimited. Bilal Elian at Bilal Elian says, Hey, Agent M and Lorraine, I just listened to This Week in Marvel with Al Jean, and it brought back so many great times growing up with these two worlds. I was waiting for someone to bring up the common thread between Marvel and The Simpsons. And then they posted a picture of Radioactive Man 
both uh, the Marvel Universe and of the Simpsons Universe. And chef's kiss. I mean, also, Al Jean, how amazing. If you guys have not listened to that episode, go listen to that episode because he is the best. Another moment where Ryan and I were grinning ear from <laughs> ear, just so excited to be there at our jobs that day. Um, and then we got one in here from Megan McCabe at Ms. Megan McCabe saying officially down to just 30 episodes to finish for all of this week in Marvel. Only taken about a year or so to finish it all. And I, I tweeted back to Megan and I was like, are you OK? And she goes, <laughs> she wrote back uh, with a, a gif and she's like, I'm not sure. That is a Herculean effort if there wow. ever was one. That's a lot of I do not suggest that. And I have said this on the record. I do not suggest this endeavor for anyone. There are good <laughs> nuggets throughout those many, many episodes back in the day. But they're just probably not good. It's okay. We get better as we go along. I feel like we're, we're, as, we're really good right now. Yeah. But, you know, like, by all means, you know what? If you're feeling time in the teen, get wild. Do what makes you happy. Uh, that about wraps it up for this show. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Persia Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Rain Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Comic-Con at Home, Never Wait in Line, and the food is free! Comic-Con at Home. Please wear a mask so we can come back next year. Heroes do it all the time. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Mark. Your universe. Your universe.